Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello to you. Hello to you. How about you back there? Hello to you. And welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Our listenership is growing. I was just saying hello to the new people who have been checking in on this show as of late. So thank you. Because, you know, I mean, since this thing has been going for close to three years now, I forget that sometimes everyone doesn't listen to every episode because I do. I I exist in it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you got to greet the new people. So it's like, hey, what's up, new kid in class? Thanks for joining up. Maybe you can check out some of the other classes that uh, we've been doing for for a few years before this. So anyways, thank you to the new people who are hard joining us. We got a lot of special stuff at this show today. So the guest this week is Calvin Philly, the vocalist for an amazing punk, hardcore, independent music band called Xerxes from Louisville, Kentucky. This was a conversation... Um, I, I was not expecting to have. He he is a young gentleman in his early 20s dealing with some really dark stuff in his life. And um, yeah, we just, we get into it. And I, I, towards the end of the conversation, you'll hear a, a, a shift in something that I've honestly never done in the podcast before. So that's a tease. If I've ever heard of a tease, then that is definitely one. But I'll get to that in a minute. Let's talk about some stuff. I have a little pre-interview interview with someone else that I, I'll reveal in a moment, but let's get some business pleasantries out of the way. Propertyofzack.com, our media sponsor. For the next probably five or six episodes, I'm going to have to mention this because, you know, self-promotion, like that's just kind of in our natures as humans. And obviously in this age of social media and other platforms, this is kind of what you do. I used to sing in a band called Taken. We broke up in about 2004, have done some reuniting stuff over the past couple of years, and then we realized, like, dude, we don't really need to, like, say we're broken up anymore because, you know, no bands break up anymore. And uh, we're a prime example of that. 
So because we like each other as humans. So basically, we decided to kick this thing back into high gear. We are going to be releasing a discography on December 9th. Pre-orders should be going up any day now. So uh, by the time you listen to this, you visit otherpeoplerecords.com and you may be able to pre-order it. This thing's super limited. I think we're only pressing about 500 copies. It's on double LP. It's our entire discography. It's remastered. Just great new art. A lot of stuff. If you ever cared about this band, then you will be excited about it. If you didn't care about the band, I would recommend you just uh, jump on to any streaming service and see if it's for you. You know, I'm I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise. So, and we're also playing a show in late December at the Glass House in Pomona with a great band called Misery Signals. So, if you're in the Southern California area, I highly suggest you check it out because it would be nice to high five some of you in person. I love when I meet people who listen to the podcast. It's so cool. That's a perfect opportunity for you to come. You could just be like, yo, your band sucks, but your podcast rules. And I'd be like, hey, thank you. Or vice versa. You're like, you know what? Can't stand your podcast, but love your band. Cool, man. Or you hate both. That's fine. We'll still we'll still probably be able to find some common ground. So anyways, there's that. Some people have been very nice and leaving very positive reviews recently. Uh, just want to sh- give a shout out to Uncle Oliver from Canada. Thanks for popping into iTunes and saying this very nice thing. I feel like I connect with the artists and develop a great understanding of where these musicians form their roots and how they've managed to succeed. Talk about a pull quote. How succinct was that? Perfect. So thank you, Uncle Oliver. Again, U.S. people, step up. Leave some reviews. Come on. I'm, I'm encouraging you. The international community is taking over the show, but maybe, maybe that's a good thing. You know, maybe we don't need to be number one anymore, America. Oh, I think I just, uh, I probably just got on some watch list because I said that. But anyways, I digress. So we're going to do something special. I am entertaining the idea of kind of doing a little, little check-ins. So as you well know, for those of you that are familiar with the program, I obviously talk to a person for about an hour and we go a lot of different places, usually throughout their lives and kind of their highs and lows and everything in between. But there are sometimes I just deliberately gloss over large issues or because I'm not trying to be a sort of commentary on what is happening in music as we speak. Of course, we talk about that. And of course, there are elements of that that happen organically in our conversations. So I got approached by a good friend he does a label and podcast called Bad Christian. And for those of you that are interested in probably some of the funniest commentary on sort of religion and Christianity in general, go find their podcast. It's spectacular. They are releasing records as well. There's a band that they're releasing called The Classic Crime. And uh, yeah, you can just Google Bad Christian or go to badchristian.com and you'll be able to find out all the info you need on this new release. But they pitched me like, hey, do you want to talk to the singer of this band? And I was like, well, for one, I've got no personal connection to this band at all. Like I've never really, I I saw them maybe once back in the day, but they've done a lot of interesting things in regards to like, obviously Kickstarter campaigns. And, you know, they, they by no means were ever a big band, but they've existed in this sort of like weird world. You know, obviously it is a, a Christian music leaning thing. Uh, but yeah, so needless to say, I use this conversation as kind of just a little barometer for what a band of this nature, who is like, by all stretch of the imagination, is a very mid-level band. Like, they're not big, but they seem to have captured a very specific audience that is supporting their music. And so I tried to concentrate on that discussion point. And so anyways, I, I, 
he, he said some very cool and insightful things that I wanted to share with you. So here it is. The Classic Crime is releasing a new record on Bad Christian Music. Like I said, if you want to check that out, just pop onto the site. But here's my discussion with uh, Matt, the vocalist of the band. So uh, pop in, check it out, and then I will uh, intro Calvin, and then we'll be talking to him. So look at this. Two interviews for the price of one, and you're paying $0 for this, so you're stoked. So uh, obviously, like the classic crime, you've been you've been doing this since 2006, correct? Uh, technically, we started touring in 2006, but we were signed in 2005, and we we've, we've been a band since 2003. So okay, it's been this is you know it's been about 10 years of legitimately doing the classic crime. Right. <laughs> I like how you use the words legitimately. <laughs> right. Exactly. If you haven't played a show yet, it's not legitimate. No, it's true. It's true. I mean, obviously, at this point, it's like the, the, the band has shifted to a you know different beast than what you guys were when it was like, all right, dude, let's be gone 300 days out of the year and really sure. just, you know, nose to the grindstone sort of stuff. Um, you know, what what kind of motivates you to obviously kind of bring the classic crime back into, uh, you know, focus and kind of, you know, what like wh- why, why do this now? Obviously, that's kind of why I'm I'm you know, interested in where your, your head is at, because obviously so many bands go through so many different iterations of it. And then anytime a band kind of quote unquote comes back with some semblance of a new release or something, it's always kind of like, Oh, okay. What, what, what's the reasoning behind this? Well, we still very much love making music and putting out records. And, um, you know, when we first were, um, without a label after tooth and nail, we didn't know what to do. And so, I had all these songs and I, I thought, why don't we just see if we can release these independently and we'll do a Kickstarter for the budget and everything. And we raised 286% of our goal as far as people picking up T-shirts and CDs in advance to uh, support our recording. So that was kind of like a shot in the arm. You know, like for years, uh, we were just kind of working based on we were contractually obligated to make another record so here we go and we're contractually obligated to tour so here we go but this was um kind of a different thing than that uh a lot more responsibility a lot more you know we take a lot more ownership in what we do and it's been awesome to just have real direct connection to our fans and not have a, a an intermediary you know sort of liaison um telling us kind of what we need to do not that we ever um, needed follow any specific rules. We we always had a lot of freedom with our music, but um, something about taking ownership and and doing it yourself is different and in a good way. I'd- yeah, no, I see. I see exactly what you're saying. I mean, there, you know, it's funny because obviously, anytime anybody does a self funded record these days, there's such a. Um, I mean, basically, it's become a cliche in many terms because, uh, and when I say cliche, I don't mean that in a negative connotation. It's just a lot of people, because the music industry in and of itself is so transparent now, a lot of people look at the, uh, you know, the quote unquote goals that are set for bands for being like, all right, we need X amount of dollars to do these things. Yeah. Meanwhile, a, a kid in, you know, uh, in Florida that, you know, records himself is like, dude, you guys don't need twenty five thousand dollars to record or what? You know, like th- that sort of stuff. Sure. Did you like did you receive any sort of not like you probably saw anything directly because I, I imagine people weren't emailing you being like, Matt, you're a fraud. What are you doing? <laughs> but did you yeah, did actually you, did you yeah, guys get feedback? We did um, on our on our first one. We raised thirty thousand dollars, which was our goal. 
over overnight. So in 24 hours, and that, that um, got a little bit of press and media attention, mm-hmm. which brought out people, you know, rolling their eyes and and people who weren't necessarily fans or, or never really backed us or never really cared to. Um, there was some critique from them saying exactly that. Why would you need so much money to record? You're just lining your pockets. They're cashing out They're You know, right. they're not, they're, they don't really care about it anymore. Um, and then of course, from our perspective, that was half what we spent to record any other of our previous records mm-hmm. on the label. So we thought we were shooting it pretty low, um, based on, we thought we could produce similar quality with, with half the money. Uh, and and doing it all ourselves and and, and kind of playing the label in in a, in a sense. Right. So um, yeah, there was a bit of, of pushback from people, but ultimately we didn't really have to defend ourselves. Our our fans kind of got on and set them straight in the comments. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Because I, I do I, I do think there is a a sort of natural inclination, especially, you know, I, I think you made, you made a comment there. The people that probably were like, um, oh yeah, the classic crime, like whatever, they're just kind of another band or whatever. And then once they, once they see kind of the motivated fan base that obviously wants more material from you guys materializing, that's when people, detractors can come out and be like, oh, well that band sucked. Why are they getting, you know, X yeah, amount of dollars? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and you know it's funny. It's I, I'm I'm guilty of the same thing. You know, I'm just I'm guilty of looking over in in someone else's bowl and seeing that they have more than me, and sort of being a little bit bitter uh, about yeah. it. Like, why sure. not us? You know, and and you can get in that mindset when you're in a band because you know we're all competing in the same arena for a lot of times the same listener, the same type of listener. And, you know, there's only so many hours in a day that one can listen to music. So you're sort of competing for the airwaves a little bit. And once you get into that mindset, it's it's not fun. You know, it's just it's better to go. What can I do for the people who care for us and the people who already are, you know, are going to be in it for for the long haul? And how can we keep those people happy? It's not as much about expanding and or, you know, getting something from from you know, touring or, or connecting with other artists or schmoozing with the right industry people. It's just about connecting with the people who are already there. And that's kind of where we're at as a band. We, we can do this um, for as long as it seems like a good idea. Right. I mean, as long as it's, uh, <laughs> as long as it's supportable. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, uh, if people keep saying, Hey, uh, yes, I'll throw $10 on your next record, you know, before, before I even hear it, because I think it's going to be worth it. Then if, as long as people do that, we can continue making more records, and we hope to um, do that for the you know a, a sort of a more functional model than, like you said, being gone 300 days a year. Being able to produce music and pick and choose, you know, when when we're able to play live and and those sor- sorts of things, it's just a benefit of being independent that we really appreciate. I see it going this way for obviously so many bands, and it is it is refreshing where it's like, yeah, you don't have to because um, I'm sure, like you know, I mean. Obviously, like like I was saying earlier, where it's like when you guys were so active, where it was like you know, yeah, you're on the Atticus tour, and yeah, you're doing all these things, and it's like you know, I'm sure there was a point where you yourself kind of hit a wall in regards to man, I don't, I don't even feel like I'm I'm functioning in a in a real life situation. You're just kind of constantly being removed from <laughs> from everything. Yeah, 
Yeah, you, it's you become part of a, a a small sect of the population, and you start relating more to long haul truckers than uh you know people who work regular nine to fives. And yeah, it's it can definitely have a psychological effect when you're constantly on the move and constantly going, and you never one place too long. Um, it has it has an effect, and there's positives and negatives. But um, but the biggest thing is you know when you get a little older and you know, many of us are married and having kids. At that point, it's not just about the effect it has on your psyche as a human being, but it's also about the effect on your family. And, um, you know, you want to be there for, for the milestones with the kids. And, you know, you only get that shot once. So um, it's yeah. definitely like we feel we feel like older. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we're having kids and we're, we're, we're you know, starting families. And so um, having freedom to um, pick and choose and not being contractually obligated to tour um, is really is really nice. It's that it's that notion of obviously when you start a band, you don't have the idea in your head that it's like, oh, this thing is going to be, you know, whatever. It's going to last for five to ten years. Like there's no it's an indeterminate amount of time. So it's like as life starts to happen to you and then you become an adult, you have to reckon <laughs> with these two sure. polar opposite forces. And so, sure. you know, like where, where you're at personally now, and like obviously the, the, the function of you being independent and, you know, working with, uh, you know, bad Christian and all these other ca- capacities, like is, you know, is, is the art that obviously you're creating, um, do you feel um, liberated in a lot of sense where it's like you said, because you don't have to, you know, kind of be a part of that, that machine of like, sure. Okay, yeah, here we are. We have to, it's our second record, man. We got to follow it up because it's been 18 months since our last one. Like, sure. Exactly. Well, and yeah. And when the record budget comes down and then you debate about which, who's going to produce it. And then you set, set aside studio time. It's all very cut and dry. You know, you get, you get four to six weeks to track a record and then it's done. Whereas our first independent release Phoenix came out in 2012. Um, that, took about six months to make and i would say that it's probably i mean ask any artist or musician what their favorite thing is it's the latest thing they've done but so that's kind of cliche of me to say but i do like that record as far as the production goes more than others uh, because i had the time and the freedom to just spend extra hours on it Mm-hmm. Um, it, we weren't, we weren't under some time crunch and that's kind of the DIY aspect too, is when we produce it ourselves or when it's all in our control, it's not like we need a, this deadline. It's like, no, we can, we can spend the time needed to make it exactly as good as we, we'd like to. And, um, and since we have control over everything, we can just push the release date back. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you're not, you don't have to uh, set it up the chain of like seven other people who are just going to be like, Matt, that's a terrible idea. You're exactly. Just like, well, I already made that decision. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot more freedom in that, in that regard, just being able to work a lot longer on it and make it good. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all want more time in our lives. You know, whether it's like, Dang, I wish I had like another hour to, you know, play video games or read more or get outside or whatever it is. I know myself that I actually get questions a lot in regards to this podcast. How do you fit it in your day? And like, how do you do the interviews and all that stuff to be able to then balance the rest of my life from my work and, you know, playing in a band and I have a family, all of these things. 
But that is why therapy is so awesome because it helps you be able to sort out your life to focus on the things that for one really matter to you and two, try to find more time for those things that you love. That is why I love working with BetterHelp because if you need to find a therapist, they're there for you. So give them a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient for you and they can be suited to your schedule. And you fill out a brief questionnaire, matches you up with your own personal therapist. And if you do not like that experience, you can switch it. No problem. No questions asked. It's great. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. It's an offer just for you, the listener of this podcast. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're more, you're more flexible, and um, yeah. While, uh, while obviously the kids that have pre-ordered it may uh, give you flack for that, it's like hopefully, like you said, <laughs> the, the, the fact that y- you know you're at least a open communicator in regards to the way that you conduct yourself, and it's like, well, hopefully they'll understand it. If not, then of course I'll refund your ten to twenty dollars or whatever. It's like, well, you- I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely like communicating a lot. You know, on Kickstarter, I'm posting updates and stuff like that. But everyone's always like, take your time, take your time, you know, don't rush it. So uh, people have been really gracious with, um, especially how long this new record's uh, taken to come out. We've spent about 10 months just tracking it. So right. uh, it's taken even longer than our full length of all new originals took. And these these are, you know, rewritten songs, you know, from the last decade. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> you're, at least you're, yeah, you're not working from, uh, you know, zero uh, percent. It's like yeah. you're, you're, but it's still taking longer because you do, you have the time to do it. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and this time I'm doing it all by myself, whereas before I had an engineer help, I had an editor help with drums, and this I did everything. I took it all on myself, and I probably bit off more than I could chew, and then I got carried away. They were supposed to be acoustic songs, and then now they have you know strings and auxiliary percussion and full drum set, and they just became something else that um, is completely different, which I'm really happy with, but um, it started out as just a, mostly supposed to be a, an acoustic project, which should be simple in theory in that regard yes in theory but then what happens is people uh people they back you with a lot more money than you expected and so you have a lot more time to work on it and then you feel responsible to produce something better than they expected so yeah so i'm in here like re-recording songs because i don't like how they sound (laughs) right (laughs) trying to make them good enough you know worthy of the uh 
support. Yeah, no, I, so. I could, I could see that. Yeah, there definitely is that um, expectation. Like, I mean, I, I, you know, I'll equate it to obviously. It's like anytime anybody decides to tribute, contribute to my podcast, even if it's like five bucks, I'm like fawning over them. I'm like, thank you so much. And it's like you do feel that obligation when someone has obviously kind of cut through the noise of everything, like exactly what you're talking about of earlier when you were saying it's like yeah you're competing against so much stuff out there technically you and i are in absolute competition i want people to listen to this podcast and you're like dude drop drop all that audio stuff how about you just listen to some music and it's like (laughs) but i i do understand what you're talking about you do you feel the um such an obligation to people that decide to you know invest in something because you know i mean to be frank, it's like obviously like the classic crime was never, uh, you know, by uh, any stretch of the imagination, like a huge band. You guys appealed, no. you guys appealed to, uh, you know, I wouldn't even say a specific type of person, but it's like you guys had, you know, moments, but you never, you know, crossed over. But then the people that obviously are supporting you now are the ones it's like, well, th- those are the most meaningful, like you were talking about. Well, and we've, we've begun the transition, I mean, years ago. I I took over our Facebook in like 2008 because I was like we need to we need to like connect you know we we feel like too far removed from our base you know everything's filtered through the label and and that's what we kind of ex- came to expect was just you know send out press releases and send these really generic messages via social media and uh and that that all started to change in about 2008 and I think what what it is, is you start a band and you sort of set yourself up as larger than life. You know, you take these cool pictures and you make these cool videos and you dress this cool way and you have these cool moves on stage and that's all really cool, but it really kind of elevates you above um, people, which I guess people do have a natural bent to want to idolize or worship people. But that, that whole thing was always really uncomfortable for me. Like I never really felt like I could play the part well enough or that I was really worthy of that or I was cool enough. So it was, um, it was great to see, um, just the industry sort of shift to a more personal connection, you know, with Twitter and with blogs and you could really kind of understand people more as people as opposed to just, you know, rock stars or that whole, you know, fame game thing. Right. right. Um, so yeah, so it's it, it's been cool to finally come to the point where it's like now we're fully independent and we have this relationship and I'm just a dude and you're just a dude and we can we can talk about music and and we can enjoy this relationship of you know me producing and you you know listening that that whole thing that dynamic is a lot more just real I think and and less pretentious than the uh, you know, I field your fan mail and don't respond back. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. You're a constant repository for positive feedback, but it doesn't go both ways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I really appreciate uh, you uh, letting letting me into the, uh, the the psyche of obviously why you're you're doing what you're doing now, and then obviously the uh, the context in which you can be creative here in the uh, you know 21st century, right? Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, no problem. 
there you go. That was Matt. Like I said, I'll be kind of doing some experiments there because I do think that there is value in talking to a person about a very specific experience that I don't necessarily need to stretch out over a hour-long conversation. So there you go. Like I said, the classic crime. Visit them on every social media outlet you can possibly imagine from Facebook and Twitter, and then they have a new record out. Thank you very much, Matt from The Classic Crime and Matt from Bad Christian Podcast for bringing that to my attention. So here we go. Calvin, Xerxes are an incredible band. I've liked what they've done for a very long time. It's been very interesting to follow them because basically they released a a full length on No Sleep Records. Uh, This was maybe 2011, something like that. They kind of captured a feeling of what was happening in independent music from bands like Touche Amore and La Dispute. Like that's when those bands started to really take hold in the independent music scene. And Xerxes was by no means a big band and they were kind of like coming up on those heels. And then they just, they made decisions to tour with bands that didn't sound like them. Uh, and it kind of cost them. It kind of burned them out and they really wanted to shift into something they defined as like either more interesting musically to uh, experiment with. So they released a seven inch that kind of hinted at where they were going. And then now they have a new record out, again on No Sleep Records, called Collision Blonde. And from the moment that I heard it, I was like, dude, these guys are onto something. It's It's got a lot of cool elements to it. It still has that aggressiveness that they're obviously known for, but doesn't lose any of the tendencies that sometimes bands that are aggressive uh, sometimes forget, like, you know, space in songs and nuance and textures. So this record's amazing. So I was like, all right, I got to talk to Calvin. I've only met him once or twice, but man, we really got into it. So I'm going to let the conversation do its own talking, and I'm going to shut up. And here's our discussion with Calvin, the vocalist of Cersei. marker of success for most bands is usually the handsome or pretty lead singer yeah i really work on my hair a lot yeah dude it's that's probably the best way to start things off i mean like music music is secondary everything else falls a distant third but looks number one bullet yeah 90 hair one percent well a half percent music and then another half percent uh glistening sweat right right well, it, it, it was it was funny because, I mean, being from Orange County and, and playing in bands that shared the stage with, uh, you know, 18 Visions and all that sort of like, you yeah. know, it was very interesting to see the uh, <laughs> the attention that was paid on the fact that, wow, these guys have a pink streak in their hair. And it was yeah. like, it's yeah, it's such a we could talk about that for hours, but we won't. That's not why we're here. Yeah. right? I usually start these things off with my own personal sort of injury point to, uh, you know, you, the band, that sort of stuff. So it was, uh, I mean, when we had you guys on, on sound and fury, that was my first time I, I, I saw you guys play live. Uh, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, I mean, Chris from no sleep obviously showed me your guys' stuff beforehand. And it was one of those things where it was like, I was immediately taken by what you guys were doing because, you know, obviously this wasn't a time when, you know, bands like Touche and La Dispute, like that sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, 
I, I like to classify that as intelligent hardcore. I can do that, yeah. Yeah, so like that that stuff all started to take off, and you guys came in, you know, uh, you, you know, around that same time, and it was one of those yeah. things that I, I feel like the 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 sound that you guys were trying to uh, accomplish with your earlier stuff was very distinct to your region, you know, like it was very. Mm-hmm. It had elements of obviously, like I was saying, all those other bands, but because you guys were from Louisville, you had all that weird indie rock stuff going on as well. Um, mm-hmm. Did you feel like that was, I mean, your your guys' proximity to all that sort of music really played an influence on that early stuff? Yeah. One of the most like influential shows I ever went to um, was Modern Life is War headlining their second to last show in Louisville and Black Cross opened for them. Mm-hmm. Um, or was like their direct support in Louisville. Uh, and Modern Lives War and Black Cross um, and all those guys and Black Cross um, and all the bands there and like had a history, you know. Um, so I think that's almost what what a lot of us took. Like me and Will especially were at that show together um, as like best friends and trying to start a band. And like that show kind of melded us into this like we wanted to be like Modern Lives War, uh, but you can't help your influences. And Black Cross was one of those bands that I remember the first time my brother showed me uh, uh, Art Offensive, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So I guess Ryan Patterson with Black Cross and Young Widows, or uh, Ryan and and Evan, um, Mm -hmm. both have a kind of indie rock uh, guitar sound to go with their hardcore bands and and their rock bands and all of that. Um, And Will is very, very influenced by that. Uh, and has always been influenced by that in his his guitar tones and, and the way that we write songs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's impossible to really help the fact that yes, uh, we are from Louisville. I don't know if it's necessarily true, but I feel like it is that we're a little more isolated than uh, other folks around the country because of our city and kind of where it is, um, and that kind of melts the sounds of a lot of bands from here. Definitely. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I never really, I, honestly, I never thought about Louisville as an isolating place, but it, there's major cities that are obviously within, you know, three to four hours that you guys can obviously play to. Um, but, mm-hmm. but there isn't much within the context of all ages music. Like there's no, <laughs> in every time that I played and went through Louisville, it was always like, you know, I contacted Ryan or Evan and they pointed me in the yeah. right direction of the most appropriate all ages venue that was happening at that yeah. time. So there was no consistency. Mm-hmm. So I could see the isolating nature of just like, Oh, I guess this is what we're doing for this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like right now I would say that as far as all ages venues go, we're uh slim pickings right now. It's it's been uh, it's been tough. I've been I like have people contact me trying to get all ages shows booked, and I I don't even know where to point them in the right direction for. Yeah. Um. Just because there's not really a space right now. But the other thing about Louisville that kind of isolates us is just the fact that yeah, there are these cities that are three like uh, two three four hours away. Um. They're all larger markets. Mm-hmm. Um. It's hard to get good headlining bands to play Louisville nowadays. Um, just because the markets that are around us are, I mean, we're in competition with them to get these bands, and we just don't really have the the um, the power to to pull them in. You don't have the the infrastructure where it's easy for bands to be like, oh yeah, you play yeah. you play that you know 800 capacity venue every time you go through Louisville. Yeah, yeah, get, sure. Yeah, you look at a, you look at a map and you see Indianapolis, you see Nashville, you see Cincinnati, um, you see even uh, like St. Louis before you see Louisville, you know, 
um, if you're trying to go across the country, which is sad, and I would love it to change. Um, but that's just the way it is, and it kind of uh, it, it, it creates a kind of self-reliance amongst bands, individual bands in Louisville, um, I think, uh, that we really try to take care of things ourselves um, and not worry, like, too much about the networking aspect of trying to get noticed by touring bands and all this stuff. We try to go out there and make it happen ourselves yeah. a lot of the time. No, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. You lean on each other in ways that maybe other band, other bands and other areas don't have to because they can just immediately mm-hmm. go out on their own. Yeah. 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 No, that's true. That's true. You yourself, were you, were you born and raised in Louisville or the Midwest or where did you come up? Uh, Louisville. I grew up in the suburbs in Louisville. Okay. My dad's actually from Eastern Kentucky, and his family's all from the South. And then my mom um, is from uh, Long Island. I don't know why if we ended up in Louisville just because my dad's job. But I love I love Louisville. I've always loved it. I love Kentucky. Um, I can't really see myself living anywhere else. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Where? Uh, so, what was your dad's job that brought him down to Louisville? Uh, he's uh, he works for uh, G. Um, he's just a nine to five office guy. Okay. Uh, orders parts for refrigerators from Japan. Sure, sure. Yeah, he's he's in the trade. And so, do you have brothers and sisters? And what was your family structure like growing up? Um, I have uh, an older brother, um, and then I have a little brother and a little sister. And my older brother played guitar in a band called Mountain Asleep for a very long time. That was kind of band that when I was in high school was kind of uh, ruling the the local scene in Louisville. Um, we had a huge like. People were just really into Screamo. Um, mm-hmm. That was the time where that whole Screamo revival thing was kind of happening way before the emo revival, I guess. Right. Um, and like, so, so there's a ton of these Chicago, Midwest, uh, Milwaukee, Grand Rapids, uh, Screamo bands, and Not Asleep was like Louisville's uh, part in that, I guess. Um, sure. And so I, I was going to his band. I was, I was like a freshman in high school, and I went to like every single one of his band's shows until they broke up pretty much. Um, and they were actually like part of the reason um, the Xerxes was able to get a foothold in Louisville because they would let us open their shows every now and then. It was a lot of fun. We were just kind of like best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and now Ben, uh, who plays, plays drum for us now, was playing uh, drums from out of sleep back then. Um, so it's all come back full circle kind of. And my, my little brother is a, two years younger than me, uh, completely different. Uh, he's a... Uh, I guess he's a junior in college now, and he plays uh, Division One college baseball uh, for U of L. Oh wow! Um, he throws like a 95 mile per hour fastball. So. Nice. <laughs> so I'm, I think I'm, I'm like five uh, eleven, uh, about 150. Right. He's six uh, three, probably 200 pounds. <laughs> uh, he's a big boy. Sli- sli- then, slightly uh, different, slightly different build. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, both him and my little sister. Uh, both like got straight A's all through high school where me and my older brother were like punk rockers, like drinking and smoking weed and not doing shit at school. Like probably not, I didn't even go to school my June, my entire junior year. So but suffice to say me, me and Jake are kind of the, we were the rockers and they were the good kids. It's so funny. Cause very, very rarely does it kind of split down the middle like that, where it's like, you know, <laughs> usually, I mean, obviously since your older brother kind of, you know, ushered you into the music world, yeah. it's kind of interesting to see that <laughs> your other two yeah. siblings well, were like, and, and, nah. and, and we get along so well. Um, and like my little brother, Jonah, like he, uh, he's not like a total jock idiot. He's, he's cool as hell and likes a lot of really good music. Me and Jake are always trying to cure up his like walk up song when he comes in at, uh, 
for relief innings and stuff during baseball games. Dude, that's amazing. Um, he, that's amazing. Yeah. So what, what 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 is your current pitch for his his walkout? Uh, I don't know what his is currently. I haven't talked to him in a while. It's one of those things where he didn't want it to be something that was like so obscure that nobody would know it. So we were always trying to. I I like am pretty into like good hip hop. So I was like always trying to like get him to put like a root song or something like that um, sure. on his. Or like oh like a Kendrick Lamar song for his walk up song just because that's like at least like people will know that and like get excited for it. He he so, seldom takes our suggestions. Right. Well, dude, I mean honestly, like you're doing this because obviously you have such a you know such a passion about music. But that I mean uh-huh. that is a crucial component. Like you get so many people yeah. stoked if a good song is played for a walkout. Yeah. Like no no matter well, what like, uh... sport wild thing from like major league Dude, you know so, <laughs> so true shit. and so so yeah as you as you alluded to you were uh, a terrible student in high school you didn't mm. you, did, you didn't care so like what you know what sort of person were you were you kind of like quote unquote you know burnout punk kid where it's just like whatever dude like i just need to get out of here uh you know where no. what, what did you where did you find yourself it, it was kind of one of those things where like i say i really sucked at school and and that's true but there's some aspects that I was I was actually really good at. I, I mean, I've aced my AP English exam and all that stuff. Like, I was, like, the star student writing essays and shit like that in my creative writing class and all that stuff. All those creative classes, I was I was really good at, and I really put a full effort into. Um, but, like, math, social studies, pretty much anything that did involve writing uh, creatively um, or, like, uh, analytically uh, just didn't work for me, and I couldn't handle it. Um, and I, I, I say smoke weed, but I didn't really smoke weed that much. I don't even really like smoking weed. I just got really drunk my entire junior year of high school okay. um, when I wasn't going to school. And then I came back for my senior year uh, and got straight A's just because, just to, like, say fuck you. And mm-hmm. then I got a full ride to college after that. I, I don't know. That was that was when we were, like, we were playing a lot of shows around that um, and really, like, hitting, like, the local music scene very hard. Mm-hmm. And so I was just kind of, like, like, school was kind of the thing that it was just, like, I don't even care about this. I'm playing music. Like, I don't need any of you people. I don't, I'm not even friends with any of you people. It was always just go to school and then get out of school and you go to band practice or go to a show or go like trespass somewhere downtown, you know, mm. um, it was always like, I was, I was always the youngest person in this little like punk sect that we had going, this like DIY punk sect that we had going on in, in Louisville. That was really cool. And it was a really cool time. Um, but it was never like, I was never cool in school. I was always kind of a nerd and like, nobody understood, like nobody, I, you could ask somebody if Calvin was a punk rocker and they would probably be like, he's into punk rock. What is that even? I don't know. So, <laughs> so you, you were, you're very uh, disassociated with the high school yeah. experience. Cause you were so yeah, no, dedicated. Nobody to even really knew who I was. You flew under the radar uh, intentionally. Yeah. You obviously mentioned the fact that you were, you know, really into sort of the creative aspects of it and writing and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can identify with that. I, I 100% was, was in the same boat as you as far as like math was mm-hmm. so secondary and English and all that stuff. Where was that love like fostered from? Like, you know, where you're, did your parents encourage you to read when you were younger or how did that kind of manifest itself? I don't know. I, I was a smart kid for some reason, just like in school when it came to reading time when I was really young. I just really enjoyed that. And that's just what I did. And I would, by the time I was like a freshman, like by the time I was in middle school, I was reading like entire books, just like on my own outside of school all the time. You know, I would like read before I fell asleep every night, like a total nerd. And so I just, that's what I loved. And that's just kind of what happened. And then 
I don't know. I've always kind of been like a little morose, angsty soul. So like when I was in middle school, I was like, oh, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to write poetry. And, mm-hmm. da, da, da. and then in high school, it got to a point where it was like, well, no, I don't have to be like this angst bubble, but I can like do some positive things for myself and maybe for other people by writing what I feel. And people like that. My teachers like that. I received a lot, a lot of like positive attention for it. So I just kept doing it and, and it, it felt good for me. And, and I like eventually like I, I was like in specialized programs for writing, like summer programs and stuff like that. And that's how I got the full ride to college was for being this big shot high school writer. What was your primary form? Were you doing poetry? Were you trying to write fiction? Were you uh, just I was kind writing of... a lot of poetry? Okay. Um, I've always been open to doing other things. But poetry just made the most sense because I was in this band and the lyrics were just poetry. So I just kept with that kind of thing, you know, like at this point now, like I'm starting to take the poetry and turn it into prose. And then I just got a nonfiction piece, you know, I mean, I'm working on something right now for a zine that's just going to be like a nonfiction account of me getting really drunk and things that occurred after that, I guess. Okay. I mean, you know, sure, sure. kid stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So who 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 were your uh who were the poets that you like you looked up to as far as uh, inspiration and stuff like that? that? That's the one thing is I don't really read a whole lot of poetry. I was reading a lot of Cormac McCarthy in high school, mm-hmm. which to me his prose is very poetic and he's still one of my favorite writers. So that that's kind of where all that came from later when I was like starting to write this really like not I wouldn't want to say deep, but it was just like I got cryptic and like too in my own head mm-hmm. like for a while. And that was, I guess, from reading Cormac McCarthy. And I just wanted to use all of these words that I learned, you know, all these like fun, like ten dollar words that I found in a book by <laughs> an old guy, you know. Like when you do love English, when you do start to discover different ways to express yourself, and you're using these words that you have some grasp on, but you really shouldn't mm-hmm. be using them. But you still are like, dude, yeah. I, I'm going to impress someone by doing this. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and 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 like. When I like, especially when I was like in high school, I was just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna string together all these words that are so like full of meaning and da da da, and like, but what does it really mean? Not a whole lot, you know. Yeah. And that's kind of what I learned from like later on, like taking uh, like a creative writing class in college and and doing those like programs over the summer, like the university and government programs to develop young artists and stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, you went to Western Kentucky, correct? Yeah, for one year. Okay, and that, <laughs> one whole year. And so, but you got a full ride for that, right? Like you were saying? Yeah, I got a full ride. And that was right after my parents got divorced, too. So I was actually getting paid about $1,300 a semester to go to school, which, like, now I think about it, it's just, like, so ridiculous that I quit because my parents had just gotten divorced and my mom could file for the most amount of federal aid possible because she was pretty much literally living below the poverty line after all that. Okay. Um, I was making a lot of money to go to school. Right, right, right. Did, did your parents divorce? Was that, because obviously you were older, did that, uh, you know, affect you? Did you uh, have a reaction? Oh, usually. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess, so my parents got divorced when I was like in high school, like in the middle of high school. It was one of those things where like, it came as like a weird shock um, but uh, like a weird shock in the way that it was, uh, I could have, I could have seen it coming, but I just didn't understand how to, Okay. I guess in the way that you are born into a household where you have a mother and a father, those are your, your only parents. That's your mother and your father. Those are the people you live with for your entire life up until the point that they separate. And once they separate, it's like, you can finally, you kind of realize once it's spoken out loud, 
that, oh, wow, like the, ent- the entire time I've been living, this was always going to happen. These people didn't necessarily have a healthy relationship, even though I just assumed that it was. Mm-hmm. I turned that back on myself and was like, well, then how do I know how to create and, and live in a healthy relationship? You know, and that was at this point in my life, I was like dealing a lot with like wanting to fall in love and, and wanting to be with somebody and wanting to be with somebody forever and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, I kind of, I kind of, I came to this like point where I was like, is that even a possible thing? Like, is that a thing that happens? Is that a natural thing? Like, what do I do? And I think I'm still even struggling with that because I'm 22 and like, don't know anything about anything, but other than I would like to love somebody, it seems like a nice thing to do. And I'd like to be loved back because that feels really nice. I think I felt it before, but I mean, it, it fucks you up when your parents go and get divorced. You sure. know, that's just a thing that happens. So, but it, and it, I mean, it, it really, it, it sent you, it sent you to the space of, of you looking at yourself, whether or not you could, uh, I guess, receive and give love in a long-term. Yeah. Like, okay. it, like it kind of made me start to think about whether I even had the capacity for it as if it were like a learned trait that like you uh, pick up from watching your parents who are supposed to be and and the society that we live in. So they're supposed to be two people that love each other forever. Kind of they're married or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Um, like I, I grew up with that, with that feeling of like, well, my mom and dad are in love and they're going to stay together forever. That's what I was assumed, you know, because I mean, they were married, whatever. And I didn't know any better that people just grow apart, you know, but I, I got, it was like a very shitty feeling to be all of a sudden like, well, what if I'm fucked up? Like, what if because I watched them for my entire life and that was my uh, model to go by for how to uh, live with your entire life with somebody and they failed, am I going to fail as well? You know, that was kind of what was going through my mind. Hmm. And I feel that still, I guess, especially since I'm single and, and, and can be pretty messed up. I've been called sleazy recently i don't really agree with that but you know (laughs) sleazy in the sense of uh it's difficult for you to be monogamous or sleazy in the sense of you are involved in uh other nefarious activities now that you ask that i haven't really thought about that one but but i would say that like i would love to be monogamous very much enjoy that i just haven't entered a relationship with somebody in a very long time that seems as interested in that as well you know sure um I don't think I don't think it was entirely well thought out to call me sleazy, right? And so I'm kind of mad at a person that said it behind my back. But <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I don't think. I mean, even honestly, even if it was, I am involved in other nefarious activities, but like I don't even think they know about that. So let's just. Yeah. Hey, you don't hey, even know me that well. <laughs> right. Hey, that that hurts. How about you have the whole picture before you call me sleazy? Like I don't necessarily fool. I, if you had the whole picture in front of you and you still felt the same way, that's okay. Whatever. So then, as you were you're matriculating and, and attending Western Kentucky, um, you know, I presume obviously the band was was a, a large reason for you not continuing your education. But did you enjoy like the college process and like you know kind of diving being able to dive into your studies from that perspective? Was that just torturous for you and so the band was an easy out a little of both i'm very excited to go back to college one day i'm 100 percent going to do it that's going to happen because i do really enjoy studying i enjoy reading all that kind of stuff but i was kind of um torn the entire time i was there um first of all because like i was i'm a punk you know like and and i'm i was in the fucking honors program there which like was a bunch of like these goody two shoes like normal ass kids that i just could not i like there was no common ground between me or anybody like pretty much anybody in my peers, all these kids coming straight out of high school 
love studying and love being smart and love being nerds. Whereas like, I was like, I, was, I just want to read books and write and play music. Sure. I, it, that wasn't really my thing. Like, and I would love to go back there and be a scholar on things having to do with music, writing and reading, you know? Um, but I didn't want to go to a, an astronomy class. I didn't want to go to an algebra class. You know, I thought that was what high school was for. Right. So I felt a little like I felt a little cheated because people always told me the entire time, like, you're going to go to college. Like at, during high school, what my therapist told me was you're just ready for college. Like you are just past this high school stuff and you're ready for college. But here's the thing, Calvin, you have to put your head down and get through this to advance to the next place. And I need you to do that. So you just do that for me. I was like, okay, therapist, you might have a point. Right. So I did that. I get to college and then it's just like high school, but worse because I'm with a bunch of nerds and there are no like skaters there. Right. You know, there's no like other punk kids. It's just a bunch of nerds. Sure. And uh, it's it just like, I was just surrounded by squares. It felt like so that sucked. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited to go back to college. It was torturous to be in Bowling Green, Kentucky, like in the middle of bumfuck nowhere while my band is all in Louisville practicing all the time and then sending me the demos, you know? Yeah. Um, like most of the seven inch that, uh, that we did, like the split seven inch that we did with Midnight Souls, mm -hmm. like I wrote all the lyrics for that in Bowling Green while the rest of the band was in Louisville. And like we recorded that on a weekend that I came home. Right. So that right. sucked. So once we got over to during, I actually took a week off from school that spring, my, my spring semester of that year, because we went south by Southwest um, during the U of L spring break where everybody else was in Louisville going there. So I had to take a week off during their spring break to go down to South by. And that's where we met Chris and then started the whole roller coaster with no sleep um, where we have ended up here that after that spring semester signed. And then I decided not to go back to college. So did Will and Dylan and James and all of them. And so we just decided to do this, try to do this full time. Sure. Um, instead of going to school. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself, Paul Muldoon, and Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man who's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie, and uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, 
from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless. From the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic, I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sure, yeah. So you decided, yeah, I mean, at that point, you obviously decided to structure your lives to where, you know, yeah, you would work uh, jobs that were easy to leave and facilitate touring and that sort of lifestyle from that. Yeah. 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 I just got, I I went back home. Well, actually I was still in Bowling Green after that for a girl, like an idiot. Um, but then once I got back home, I was just working at a coffee shop and going on tour as much as I could. And I was so poor. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Well, I mean, that part of the, uh, the lifestyle, like you were saying that, that you, you build for yourself because you just, you want to, you know, be creative and that's, you know, (laughs) occupational hazard. Exactly. Exactly. It's part and parcel. So the, uh, in, in preparing for our conversation, I noticed in, in multiple interviews, you've mentioned like you enjoy the touring lifestyle and you enjoy the, the, traveling aspect of it because i do think that there mm-hmm. a, a lot of people you know a, a lot of people that like look to a band are like oh tour like that's such a cool thing and yeah uh, the the idea of like you know you actually you said it perfectly in my mind where you were just like well yeah it's kind of like a paid vacation in a way where you know i mean paid in the sense of you get five dollars a day or something like that but uh-huh. if you're lucky yeah if you're lucky um so do you now that you've obviously have a, a decent amount of touring under your belt does does touring still provide the same sort of excitement or has your your views changed of it over time there's the matter of if you are successful or not um we did like over 150 days on the road um right after our home is a deathbed came out um that year we didn't have any money the tours weren't very successful at all um and we pretty much starved, started hating each other because of that. And that's very, you know, that'll happen. Yep. It was great to travel the country, but the, the shows and, and, and the money and, and all of that is not meeting or exceeding your expectations. It can get hard, really hard. And it's not easy in the first place because traveling that much um, in such a limited time is very difficult. But I still, to this day, would do it all over again if I could. Um, except for the shoplifting and getting arrested part. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> Where I, I don't think I know that story. Where you were uh, shoplifted and arrested and like actually put in jail overnight for that? We were not put in jail. Okay. That's lucky. That's good. But we did have uh, – I decided not to because I'm an idiot. Did have to go to court a little like all the way out in Virginia after like Will and, and Evan went to Harrisonburg, Virginia one fine morning to go to court and get lectured on why – they shouldn't shoplift like they don't already fucking know. Right, right. Um, we were just stealing candy bars because we were hungry and poor from a right. gas station in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and got a, got like totally caught. There was a like a, a a cop in plain clothes just for that occasion. Yeah, like in case there's like some nineteen year olds stealing candy bars. Um, so yeah, we got nailed, and that turned into like a six hundred fifty dollar fine for me um, later. Long story short. Uh, 
don't shoplift. Right, right. <laughs> then uh, that was like the tour that was kind of like the nail on the coffin that we needed to like take a break and start over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and some of the members quit after that tour just because it was really, really hard. Yeah. But to that end, like I said, I do it all over again. And I'm very excited to start doing it more and more again because I believe in this record and I believe in, in the guys in this band. Um, way more than I ever have in anything I've done before. Being a person that's obviously so close to, you know, the, the business aspects of what you do as a band, but like the, uh-huh. the the effort that you guys obviously have put into not only writing and recording this record, but to obviously, like you said, actively take a, you know, longer break to where, uh, you know, you, you, you whatever, you stepped off the treadmill to be like, all right, we got to figure out what we want to do with this band. So the, but yeah, the conscious decision that you guys have had with this LP to be like, okay, we're, we're going to differentiate ourselves from either, you know, the, the, the bands that we've been constantly lumped in with, um, not because, not because you dislike them, but just because you want to have a fresh take on it. Was that, uh, you know, in in planning everything, was it one of those things where, you know, do honestly, do you guys feel like this is like, all right, well, this is, we're going to try this, and if if this is received, you know, terribly, or it doesn't make you know, it doesn't make any sense. Like, and people are just kind of like, oh, whatever, another another Xerxes record. That that's it. Um, is that kind of the your, your last sort of try from that perspective, or is it one of those things you guys are just like, well, this is what we're doing from here on out? I think that this this sound that we're working with right now is just a natural progression, especially with the member changes. Will definitely wanted to to start writing more simple, simplified guitar parts once James quit the band and he didn't want to have a second guitarist anymore. He just wanted to have one guitar, um, simpler songs, um, and to that end, I think more accessible songs. We kind of felt like the post-hardcore sound that we were kind of doing a lot of, um, it was starting to feel immature to us. Um, It it started to feel like, like, yeah, Modern Life is War was a great band. Yeah, um, like Touche Amore is doing amazing things. Yeah, we all liked At the Drive-In once. Um, but like at the same time, like I liked the used ones too. And I also really, really liked like AFI when Sing the Sorrow came out. And not to knock any of those bands because they are very, very good. And I still like those records, but they don't sound as mature to me anymore. Um, and they don't resonate with me as much anymore as, as kind of like... Uh, I don't know. I listen to the Joy, like any Joy Division record right now, instantly hit me right where it hurts. So that's kind of where we're at now. Is is that this is just what we're doing, and we're gonna play music no matter what, just because we like doing it with each other. We like playing music with each other, and that's just what we do, and we can't stop. Yeah. Um, if it isn't well received, like maybe we tone it down on touring and don't try to push ourselves too hard that like we eventually like run ourselves in the ground. Where we're at right now is we really believe in this record. And it seems like what we've released so far is getting received pretty well across the board. Um, there, I, I feel more excitement about what we're doing um, than in, in years past, both within our ranks and, and just coming from, from people that we've never even heard from before. And so, and I think also just the music's going to be more accessible, going to reach a wider audience naturally just because people aren't going to be like, oh, that sounds like Screamo. I don't like that. You know, yeah, um, yeah. even though it is heavy music, it's it's not so uh, polarizing, I think. Sure. Um, and that's and that's kind of like where where our bass player Joe's coming from is he he's played in a lot of indie rock bands, he's played in a lot of punk rock bands, and Ben can pretty much play anything anytime. And then Will's just gotten into his whole uh, '80s goth punk thing, and I just like music in general. 
so that's kind of just what comes out naturally now. Sure. It also seems too that that you guys, uh, you know, from obviously the addition of, you know, Ben to your band, and then you know how closely you guys have worked with uh, with you know Max Moore, obviously, and all like a lot of the visuals that have accompanied the band. It seems like you guys like are, for lack of a better term, it's like, and I think this is due in part to you know the the Louisville scene and kind of leaning on each other. It's like. Xerxes kind of feels more of like a, an art collective, as it were, yeah. than, than kind of a, a band. And I think that's what kind of makes, you know, that's what makes what you guys are trying to do, you know, more unique from that perspective, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like we we started the thing not that long ago that we we called like we would always say we were keeping it in the family. Ben doing art for us. Ryan Patterson doing art for us. Uh, Ryan Patterson helping out with with like some audio recording stuff that we do. Will doing sound for Coliseum when they go on the road. We're all with chains being a band, you know, this, that's all us keeping it within our family, our group, the people that we trust. And so that's, that matters a lot to us because we're all very anxious um, people and, and we're not so quick to trust. We've been burned before. So we, we stick to the people that we trust. So we know that we can get what we want out of it. And, and that also creates that kind of collective feel kind of reminds me of, of uh, the, the like Bay area, California, like Bay area, California, screamo like art collective kind of thing oh, sure. um, that was going on for a while uh, that I always thought that was so cool. And it, it creates uh, a sense of full, full circle of, of this is music, this is writing, and this is visual art. And so you're giving people, a ton of of stimulation, and that's what I mean. People want. That's why you listen to music. That's why you. That's why you look at art. Um, that's why you read words. That's why you listen to people talk. Um, is is you want to be stimulated, and so you're giving people more stuff to take in because that's what, like everybody just wants more and more and more. Because um, once you stop producing, people stop paying attention. I, I, I honestly, I never thought about it from that perspective where it's like, if you give a person a larger chunk to chew from, uh, yeah. so, so to speak, it, it will hopefully engage a person more. And obviously it's like, exactly. if, they, if they don't care about it, they just won't even look at it and that's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, 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 I like that, that train of thought. It definitely gives, you know, people more, more to, uh, resonate with. Yeah. There's more, there's more to feel coming from Xerxes, from Ben Sears, making a comic book from throwing them like Coliseum made a new music video like, like Ryan's like a huge like film buff so like they do these really cool music videos or like look at Will his new like solo thing that he's doing and then like all that kind of thing and then like me like oh look at Calvin wrote a poem blah blah, blah. like who cares but at least something that's there and it, it keeps keeps your the, like I don't want to say the brand but it keeps the, the name of your band relevant in people's minds yeah um for when you put out the record and you want people to be like, oh, Xerxes, they've been doing so much stuff. I bet this record's going to be really good because, like, they've been all busy everywhere, you know? And I guess that's what I hope from it. It's become, like, just natural, like, to share all of these aspects of, of what the group collective here is doing. But, yeah, mess around and, and hope it's cool. <laughs> and honestly, from you, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking about it as a 33 year old man talking to a 22 year old man where it's like, you know, mm. that I mean, that, that thought process is really mature. And that's kind of what struck me about you guys as well. It's where it's like, you know, theoretically speaking, you know, you're this is something that you do at a later age, you know, just because you either have a more mm. of a perspective or whatever you have more life experiences but it's like the fact that you guys are are deliberate about this now is only going to 
help the art you create more in the future in my mind. So it's, it's awesome. Wait, mm-hmm. you, you have a head start. Way to go, Calvin. Uh, yeah, I've, always, I've always felt pretty good about the head start I get. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, there's a few last things I wanted to hit on before I let you go was the, uh, the, the idea that, you know, you, uh, cause I, I know you make mention of it, um, it, within some of the lyrics of the new record where it's like the, yeah. you know, working, you know, whatever, working a crappy job, like, like you were just talking about earlier, like setting yourself up for, a touring lifestyle and just working these, you know, ter- terrible jobs just to, you know, make enough money until the next tour or whatever. Do you kind of feel like the, um, grind that daily grind, so to speak, even though, you know, a job is a job and no matter what, like, yeah. you know, even if you have a rad job, there's still parts of it that suck. So do you think like being kind of, you know, in it from a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, helps you be creative or do you think that, uh, you know, the, uh, the fact that that takes away your time from this sort of creative simulation, you know, I don't know if you've had that thought process on like, if that detracts or adds to your overall artistic experience, so to speak. I think it kind of goes both ways for me right now. I would say it's not helping. I've been bartending five nights a week lately. Um, from about four o'clock in the afternoon until two to three in the morning, it's kind of like become a, been kind of depressed. And, and so it's kind of gotten into a cycle of me waking up around two o'clock in the afternoon, going to work, staying at work until about two 30 in the morning, drinking until four at least, and then going to passing out and then waking up again at two o'clock in the afternoon and going back to work. It, 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 it becomes like a cycle, like a cycle that repeats itself so much and if there's no there's no positive to take from it other than like making a ton of money bartending uh, and then waste blowing it all on booze but like it's gotten to a point where like i've missed band practice before just because like they like they're planning on on practicing and i'm not even by my phone the entire time that we're texting like what time should we practice and everything and so like the morning comes with it that they're all ready to practice and I'm asleep until way after in the afternoon, you know. So that's not helping, and it's not—it's just not helping my creative energy either at the, at the moment. And I'm, sure. it's something that I'm working on. But like, I think there—I could say with jobs I've had before that were like actual, just like shitty jobs that I was there from like 11 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. At least then I was writing from like reading or writing from like 10:30 until one to two or something like that. Um, but lately it's been different for whatever reason. Yeah. Mostly depression. (laughs) Sure. No, I mean, it's a, it's a valid point. I mean, I know that you've spoken about it openly in the past, a depression, but then also a severe anxiety around like driving and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you obviously mentioned earlier, you know, that you've, you've gone to a therapist before. Is it, is it one of those things that depression and anxiety has always been kind of, has it always existed in your life or has that manifested itself because of other circumstances? It's one of those things where it's always kind of been that way. The cycle of anxiety leading to whatever else, like me doing something wrong, leading to depression for doing something wrong or not doing anything at all when I should have done something kind of thing. I'm a pretty anxious guy. Uh, My mind kind of goes at 100 miles per hour sometimes. There, there's good reasons to be anxious and then there's bad reasons to be anxious and there's good ways to be anxious and bad, bad ways to be anxious. But a lot of times for me, it, it's, it's not a positive thing and it ends in just kind of like a, a asking like, why, why am I even here? Why am I, what am I even doing? Like, this doesn't even matter. I, I, I should just stop. I'm stupid. I fucking suck. Like that kind of thing. It turns into a lot of self-loathing. And that's just kind of how it's been, like, since I, like, I don't know, failed a math class, you know, like, just because, like, didn't feel like I could do it because I was so anxious about it. And then all of a sudden I have an F and then I hate myself because I suck at 
doing stuff. You know, like mm-hmm. it's just it's always been like that, and I work on it. But you know, did and so when you, <laughs> yeah when you when you were going to therapy was that something that you were specifically working on, uh, like the the depression, or was that just uh, was that something um, that you? It were... was kind of like a family therapy thing. The the like problems in school led to problems at home led to problems in my brain and then so on and so forth. Um, so it, originally like me and I went to therapy because me and my mom like hate each other's guts. Got it. Um, and so then it kind of got to, well, let's work on you for a second, Calvin, what's going on with you, like separate from your mother's relationship with you and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it was discussed. Um, I'm the kind of person where like once, once me and my mom were getting along and everything was hunky-dory, I was like, all right, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to talk about my feelings to this person anymore. Can we just not do this? And I'm going to write some poetry and maybe that'll work. You know? Right, right, right. Because I do, I, I believe in like artistic catharsis more than anything else, which is pretty much why I love going on tour, most of all, is because I get to play a show and release that every single night. Because otherwise, it builds up really bad. Yeah. So tour, touring, which is it, kind of where I'm at now. You you want to get out there because that's that's your cathartic moment mm-hmm. that you're able to repeat on a nightly basis. Yeah, and that's where I feel the most natural, expending my emotional energy. You know. Sure, sure. And so, is your relationship with both of your parents now pretty pretty solid, or is it is it one of those things that they look at what you're doing with your life as far as the art is concerned and are just like, oh, Calvin, what are you doing? The reason me and my mom hate each other when I was so young is because we're so similar. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I think once we came to terms with that, uh, my mom's just kind of in my corner about everything all the time now. Uh, me and her get along great. Like, I get drunk with my mom all the time. And then uh, after my parents got divorced, though, one of the reasons my parents got divorced is because of my dad's alcoholism. And so when they got divorced, he stopped drinking and kind of got really Christian and stuff. And so... It kind of, then once I like dropped out of college and everything, um, me and my dad, I wouldn't say we're estranged at all, but it is like, uh, we have to make an effort to see each other and like really talk about stuff and, and, uh, that kind of thing. So like, I'm having dinner with my dad tonight and then we're going to go to a soccer game together, you know, and that'll be fun. And I love my dad, but he's definitely a, a little more like high strung. He wants me back in college right now. When I dropped out, he like almost killed me. Um, Right. But he does support the music thing. It's it's one of those things where it's like, sometimes I don't know if he can make up his mind um, because he supports the music thing. He always loved punk rock when he was a kid. Um, so to see me doing this, he gets to live vicariously through through me and my little brother because he always loved punk rock and he always wanted to be a baseball player. So he's got two sons doing those things. Um, so that's cool for him. And I and and I'm he's doing good. And so I don't. I don't mess with him at all. He he does his own thing. I do mine, um, and we love each other, and that's about all you can ask for. Yeah, yeah. There's there's your, like there's your twenty something kids, your uh, parents. You sure. know? Yeah, no. There, there's there's that there's that healthy respect for the space, and that's that's positive for both of you because then you're not just at each other's yeah. throats. Sure, sure. So, yeah, and not not to be like all dad like on you, just but the obviously you mentioned the fact that you know your 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 father has battled alcoholism and stuff like that in you know, in talking about the lifestyle of what you're living now, is it one of those things that like, do, do you, do you rally against the idea of being like, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be an alcoholic. Um, but then you find some of his sort of self-destructive tendencies within yourself. Like, has that, has that, has that kicked around your head at all? Yes. I 
think about that a lot, actually. Okay. Okay. Like every morning that I wake up, all the mornings I like wake up hungover and feeling like, uh, like a, I don't know, whore on a Sunday morning. Right. Like that's kind of how I feel sometimes. And, sure. and, and I look back on that and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I should cool it. Out. Like, yeah. I know like, cause my dad tells me all the time, uh, like, you know, just don't drink too much, dude. Like don't drink and drive definitely. And, and like everything he says to me is very positive, you know, and I take it positively. And I, I, I understand that he's worried about me. And I'm 22 years old and I bartend, you know, that's, that's a recipe for disaster right there. Um, <laughs> right. So, and I mean, I'm, I'm one for consuming recipes of disaster. Um, so I can see where he's coming from there. Um, and it's not necessarily the best stance on it, but I feel like there's, there's a part of, there's a part of me that says, well, I should cool it. Stop drinking right now. So another part of me, it's like, you know what? I, I'm 22 and I'm playing a punk rock band and I am just doing this right now. I'm going with the flow. Um, and this is just kind of how I operate and it's gotten me into trouble before, but you know, I give myself some leeway, maybe a little too much, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Young, young and dumb. And, and this is my time to do this if I'm going to kind of. Sure. Yeah. The, well, there's, there's definitely, I, I understand where you're coming from. There's, there's that identity that is created within the context of not only, you know, what happens culturally within the idea of, you know, punk rock and independent music where it's like, yeah, you're, you're supposed to make the mistakes when you're young. So that's obviously what you feel like you're uh, doing right now. Yeah, no, I, I, I see what you're, I see where you're coming from. And it, it I mean, it's fun. I mean, yeah. from, from my perspective where it's like, I, I've gone through the same thing with my own father. I mean, he's, he's passed away now. He passed away a few years ago, but he was, mm-hmm. Basically, he was a secret alcoholic where it's like I just would yeah. I would see him consuming, you know, white Russians like every night. And I would just become uh-huh. I would be like, I think he had like three or four of those, but he never seemed drunk. But then I myself like I'm I'm straight edge and I've always been straight. I mean, no, straight edge since I was like uh-huh. 15. But it is that yeah. it is that idea of like watching watching someone you love, like, you know, obviously like hurting themselves. And then you, uh-huh. you also seeing those tendencies within yourself and being mm-hmm. like, and having that weird, like father son relationship of like, I don't want to do what you did, dad, like, fuck you. And then like where mm-hmm. that, where that sits in your head, you know, it's a, it's a tough, yeah. it's a tough balance. It's, it's kind of one of those things where like, I, 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 I kind of agree with what you said there. Like I never really noticed that my dad had a drinking problem until he told me himself that he had a drinking problem and was going to AA and that kind of thing. And I was like, you know what? That's right. You do. You did drink like a ton of beers every night. And I just never really thought about it until I started drinking beer and realized that like drinking a ton of beer every night isn't good for you. Right. 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 Um, right. So, uh, but like, it's one of those things where, where sadly I've always been the one, I've been the one in my family that always displayed this self destructive tendencies. Um, and I could like, I live with my older brother and he could even tell you like, yeah, sometimes Calvin really goes overboard. There's like a, a, a weird thing. Uh, it's just kind of one of my things where like, I just sometimes lose control completely mm-hmm. and, and not because I'm drinking, but like just emotionally lose control completely, which like sometimes that leads to drinking too much or, or like taking drugs or something like that. Or like, or just like having random sex with a ra- like a person just because I can't even stop myself, you know? Right. And those are all like just kind of self-destructive things that I don't know why I do to myself. And I sometimes wish I could even stop, but it's just kind of like, 
uh, this is just the guy I am right now. Just let me, I need to get this out of my system, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I think ultimately the biggest thing that, you know, in hearing the way that you're describing it is the fact that, you know, you, you are a very self-aware person. Um, and the yeah. fa- the fact that it's like there, as long as there's that, that balance of where it's like, you don't, you know, you obviously don't go too deep down the rabbit hole, so to speak, um, to yeah. where it's like, you know, you feel like no one can kind of pull you out of there, including yourself like that. That's when it gets, mm-hmm. you know, that's when you watch, um, you know, people b- basically become, you know, whatever functional alcoholics for, you know, 40 years of their life or whatever. Um, yeah, that's, that's just once you, that's when you start just killing yourself slowly, slowly. You know. Yeah, no, uh, no, for sure. You know, the, the the last thing I want to hit on was was the fact that it's like you, um, the the idea, especially like we were talking about earlier in regards to the distinct focus and vision of Xerxes, like moving forward, um, it, it is one of those things. And I've had discussions with people on this podcast before, where it's like, you know, you you and the rest of the band have a very specific vision that you want to get out there. Obviously, once you put art art out into the world. It's not your own anymore. Other people yeah. are going to do whatever they want with it. Um, has it has it been a weird relationship for you interacting with people that you know have these expectations of like who you are and what you do based off of what you've put out there, or has it been one, uh, or has it been a positive experience for you to have those interactions with people? I'd say it's more positive than anything else. Um, I don't know. I I don't know. I I still haven't really been able to peg what people take away from, from this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, I think it's a positive thing when somebody says that like listening to a song we wrote has helped them in any way, you know, or, or like that they can kind of, I, for whatever reason they can relate to it. Um, and, and I understand that in the way of like, uh, especially on this new record, like things on, on this record are really close to and very personal to me um but i also see how somebody could see their own life in in my words which is a positive thing that's what we all listen to music for um and so i don't really take it any in any negative connotation where somebody says like yeah like that was totally relevant to this time in my life blah blah i'm not like yeah well fuck you that was my life not yours you know because it is everybody's music once it's out there um Mm -hmm. so i don't know it's as long as people are getting something from it, I am happy. You know, that's that's the reason it's there. That's the reason I did it. It's not just for me. Um, otherwise, I like we could just do we could just have band practice every afternoon, and I would be fine. I need I need to share it with somebody else for it to really have relevance, and I, I need to share it with strangers for it to actually have relevance. Right. Um, right. So yeah, it's a really it's a, it's all part of the process for like even my personal emotional standing in this universe is to have somebody relate to what I'm saying, um, even if they don't necessarily know the full story from my mouth, you know, yeah. like they just heard the lyrics and, and thought, you know, that's, that makes sense. I, that happened in my life too, you know? No, that's, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, it's a very positive way of looking at it. And I think that's, that's uh you know, it's a lesson that could be learned about anything that you're putting out in the world, as long as it's, as long as it's up for discussion and people are, are willing to take it in, then that, that, that's awesome. That's a great place to start, yeah. you know? Well, Calvin, I really, really appreciate opening up and chatting with you and yeah. hanging out. It's been, uh, it's been enjoyable. No problem, for me. man. I hope you've enjoyed it yourself as well. Yeah, great. Sweet, dude. So there you go. 
That is Calvin. Like I said, Xerxes has a new record out, making all the rounds, touring. See them live. I highly recommend it. They are always energetic. That was a very fun conversation. And like I said, I teased a little bit earlier, but towards the end of the show, I got a little dad-like. And I guess that's obviously my nature because I am a father now. But just the, the sort of reflection where it's like, you know, I held up the mirror to him where I was like, yo, do you, are you sure you want to be doing this to yourself? Like working at a bar and dealing with alcoholism when you're in your early twenties. I appreciated his honest response to that. And it was, it was cool to have that engagement because I've never really felt the need to, I guess, interject my own sort of values on another person or sort of, you know, that, uh, that, that person that has a perspective on an issue. But anyways, regardless, thank you so much, Calvin. And the producer, as always, is Tom Richfield. I think I need to buy him some new internet because we've been having all of these sending files back and forth. The UK, what's up? How about you have faster internet? Or maybe I just need to work on Tom's internet. So anyways, Tom Richfield, as always, a gentleman and a scholar. And uh, I'll be able to see him in December. So that's always exciting. And then propertyofzack.com, hunterwoodspodcast.com. Next episode is such a special episode. I am absolutely thrilled in sharing this with you. It is going to be, I'm just so excited about it. Basically the month of November, strap in. You're going to be hearing so much rad stuff. So until next week, be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.